This episode of the Golf Science Lab podcast is sponsored by Rapsodo. Rapsodo makes an affordable mobile launch monitor for any golfer. We all know that to get better, we need better feedback when practicing, and Rapsodo gives you just that. Things like distance, club head speed, ball speed, launch angle, and some really valuable information to help you play your best. They have put this thing up against some of the best launch monitors and have seen really good results when comparing it. It's accurate. I've tested it. We've done some videos. You can go check out what we've seen and all the details over on our YouTube channel. Use the discount code GSL for a really good discount. That is the discount code GSL or click the link on the post that goes along with this podcast. All right, let's get into it. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Welcome back to the Golf Science Lab podcast. So good to have you. Today, you're listening into a conversation when I ventured just up the road to Minneapolis to Interlochen Country Club to hang out with Luke Benoit. He is a great instructor, just finished up his PhD, and has been doing some really interesting study and research into focus, attention to focus, and learning. So we had a really fun conversation about that in this podcast. There's also video going along with this. that we, We shot a few videos, actually, when we were up hanging out at his instructional space. He is the founder of a company called Rip Golf, which has developed the Rip Stick, which is an overspeed training tool. It's pretty cool. You can see uh, the session that I did with them where I actually hit a new personal best. I got to 125 club head speed, which is pretty fantastic. And I was pumped about so If you want to watch that whole experience, that's over on the Golf Science Lab YouTube channel, but really fun to hang out with Luke and chat. Attention to focus, uh, swing cues. It's honestly one of my favorite conversations to to dive into. So you're going to enjoy this one. Let's get into it. So we're going to talk about some hacks around training your swing. Right. And a lot of this is going to come back to Luke's focus, who I'm excited to be here with, is on attention of focus in his study. And like I would think about it as like where I'm placing my focus, what I'm thinking about. Is that the way that you would describe it? Right. Yeah. You can think, you know, broadly defined by internal focus, thinking about your body or external focus, maybe thinking about the ground, the club or something on the ground or something behind you. Who knows? Different ways to think about it. And there's a lot of research on it. There's some nuance to it. Generally, external cues are better, but we found out that some great players like Hogan talked a lot about cupping the left wrist at the top. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nicholas talked about keeping his head still while he's swinging, even though he didn't do it. So you can think differently when you swing and understanding how to switch shots, switch thoughts as you play and practice, I think is critical. And a lot of people don't think about it very well. Interesting. Yeah. So we, for context, we've had the researchers on that did some of the original study on external focus being better. Mm-hmm. So meaning maybe looking at the target is better than thinking about my wrist, right? That would be the general idea of the research yeah, that yeah, was done. Yeah, that's 80 that to 90% point. of what's out there is think yeah. about the target. Yeah. But there are, I think, I, and I love this conversation because it's not like a set in stone rule. No, right? it's not. Because we hear tour players talking about their swing thought for a tournament, which was totally internal. Right. And they won a tournament. Right. right? Yeah. So that obvi- there's obviously something to 
figure out here. Yeah, there is. And, and I think, uh, you know, this is probably the problem between what's anecdotal and what we see from a testimony standpoint about what good players do and then also what the research says. And what I looked at with the research is a lot of it is one to three day studies. So very quick hitting stuff. And a lot of time those cues that people are using don't give people a chance to actually get used to the cue. So they have talked about different stages of learning and the most high level is like an automatic stage where that cue is so well ingrained that you don't need to think about it when you're playing. Then you could maybe focus on the target. And nobody's done this with internal cues that I've seen. So we did a little study and we found out that if you actually, if you get that internal cue to a point where it's almost automatic, then you can focus a little bit on the target as well. You might have a better outcome. Because a lot of the cues that have been used in the research are actually pretty difficult to think about okay. while you're actually hitting the ball. Okay. So let's test it out. I, okay. We wanted to, we're going to hit a sandwich here. Okay. So let's go ahead and we're going we're gonna to talk about the benefits of an external cue first and how useful that can be when you're playing. Okay. So let's go ahead and just hit a normal sandwich here. Okay. How far do you think? Should I hit this? Uh, let's just go full. Okay. Let's go full. All right. So we got the video on it, and uh, we got some data on, on the shot. And you hit it about 30 degrees or 29.8 in the air. So okay. it had a nice high ball flight. Okay. I think for most players, they hit their wedges too high. We know tour players hit low shots with a yeah. lot of spin. So that's related to shaft lean. So if we look at this angle right here, we can come down and we can look at your shaft lean. Now, you're a good competitive player, Cordy, so there's nothing that's wrong here. But your shaft lean's about 10, maybe 9 degrees ahead at impact. Okay. Tour players might even have more shaft lean than that. Okay. For the average player out there that casts it, this tends to be more backward. They tend to scoop it too much. So if you're one of those players where you hit it too high, you chunk it, or you scoop it, this is something we can work on. Now, what I like to do is I like to work on people in external cue first. If it doesn't feel effective, then we might go internal after. But let's go ahead and do a, a drill where we work on swishing the club late. Okay. So what I want you to do is I'm going to have you swing, and I'm going to basically give you the microphone out here. I'm going to have you do another practice swing. We're going to talk about how you can change your pattern a little bit. So let's go ahead, and you can get ready to swing. Okay. I'll click this mouse here. And I want you to think about having your energy and your speed come right at the end. Make it swish really late out here, okay? okay. So show me a practice swing like that. There you go. Good. Hold on hmm. to that angle and swish as late as you can. Make it fast at the end. So you're not trying to necessarily lean the hands forward. You're just trying to swish late. Right? Okay. Make the energy come at the end. All right. So let's go ahead and get that on video. Interesting. Practice swing or so Let's do with practice swing, okay. and then you can try it on a ball. Okay. So swish, swish late. Thank Interesting. Okay. Good. Awesome. So now it's interesting. As you did this, your body did a lot of things to make it all work together. Yeah. The beautiful thing is you don't have to think about your body. If the external cue is right, you're going to go ahead and just change the pattern. And this is how most people and certainly kids learn best. So look at the shaft lean now. Look yeah. at where you were at before compared to after. It's really different, right? So before we were about nine degrees ahead of it. Yeah. And now we're way up here. I mean, honestly, that's like 20, 25 degrees. Yeah. So you're a good, talented player, but you can see how quickly you could change that. You're not even thinking about your hands. You're just thinking about the swish and the action you're trying to create with it. Okay. Now, the more interesting question is, can you take it to a golf ball? Right. What right. do you think, Cordy? I don't know. Let's yeah? find out. Let's find out. <laughs> okay, so swish. What interesting. Go ahead and make it ugly. It's making me do all kinds of stuff over here in my backswing with this cue. Yep. It's very, very interesting. <clears throat> Let's see. go so you swish later did it feel like a lower ball flight 
Yes, there's something different about it. Yeah. So let's see the, the launch angle numbers we got. About the same, 30. but let's look at the shaft lane and see if the shaft lane changed at all. I feel like I got my pressure more on my left side. Yep. Moving through the ball better. Yep. So most people will kind of react to that, and they will uh, lean the hands more forward. They'll get, uh, look at that, you went from yeah. 9 degrees up to 16, and all you're trying to do is swish later. Yep. So that's the beauty of an external cue, and you could take this to thing, think, thinking about swinging inside out. One of the best, simplest cues for a slicer is just put a T or something outside on the right side, which we could quickly demo if you wanted to. But those cues are going to be the fastest way to get yourself improving your contact and your shot shape, usually. But I think the, the nuance comes in, though, that this might not have worked for me, right? Right. And I might not have been able to, to do this. Right. Do you start exploring different external cues at that point, or do you go internal? Because I think most people would have thought, well, why didn't you just tell Cordy to try to feel this? Like, okay, do you feel this? Do you mm-hmm. feel this? Okay, now go do it, right? Like, Yeah. Well, everybody's a little different, and what we have to find out is how do you learn best? Okay. Nobody exactly knows this, but when you're talking about a tour player or even a gymnast or somebody with a good kinesthetic awareness, yeah. they're pretty good at moving their body, too. So if you talk to a tour player about cupping the wrist at the top or flattening the wrist, that's yeah. probably easier than thinking about closing or opening the face. Mm-hmm. So it really depends, and there's a lot of nuance, yeah. and it takes a long time to sort it out. But that's what a good teacher does is they get to the root of the problem faster. They'll try stuff and figure it out quickly. So do you as a teacher, for most players, I'd say, start with that external cue then? Is that your go-to? Yeah, external is almost always going to be the first option. And particularly if you're a hockey player or a basketball player or a baseball player, you got that kind of athletic background, that's going to be your fastest way to get results. And then if that doesn't feel like it's working, then we go ahead and do internal. So there's a, there's a term in motor learning called motor equivalence, meaning you can get the same outcome in different ways. Hmm. We don't really care what it looks like as long as the impact is proper and it should be where it should be. Yeah. What else? We got? Let's do another one. This okay. is great. What, what's another? All right, so let's let's talk about fixing your slice. And okay. real simply, let's grab seven iron. Okay. Let's go ahead and work on your path a little bit. All right. So let's say you're trying to uh, trying to fix your slice. Yep. What you have to do is you have to make your path go inside out. That means means you're swinging out to right field, as I think most people are aware. But it's not a real easy one to do for some right. people. Yep. So first of all, make sure the face is closed. That's easy to crank the grip or make sure the face is closed. But let's see how far inside out you can get. And if we put a cue out here, like actually try to swing over this, okay. I think that for most people, that's the best way to change your path. So you can set up with a square stance, Cordy, okay. and just show me how inside out you can make your path just trying to swing over that tee. So we're not, we're not even trying to avoid anything or whatnot. We're, this is just a visual cue. This is just a visual cue. Okay. Yeah, real simple. Gotcha. There you go. And for a good athlete like you, that's not too hard to change your path, right? So let's see what the path number came out as. So we had a path of 13.4 just on the visual cue. Now, for some people, we'd have to make sure that club face is closed, but that's a relatively easy thing to do. So that's where I'd go first to fix a slice. And then the next level is we start to go into avoidance and putting an object out there to really change it. Do you want an example of that? Yeah, so you go least invasive first. So you say, all right, what is like going to be minimal? And then you kind of ramp up. Yeah, and I think, you know, some people love all these training aids. I think the best teachers are not going to use training aids unless they need to. Because if you can get solved the problem very quickly with thinking about swinging out or closing the face, why go with that? Because the player's not going to have that access to the training aid on the golf course anyway. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, so let's say this didn't work. My yeah. path was still yeah. going left. What do you do? All right, I'm going to show you my favorite drill for fixing a slice for somebody that's got a terrible path. Okay. Okay, so you stay right there. I'm going to grab a tool. So, chili whacker is unbelievable. Okay. I like to sometimes even take it to another level. Get a noodle out here, and we're going to pretend you're playing polo. We're going to go with a totally different analogy, okay? Okay. So, polo is where you're riding a horse. Okay. okay? And the way you're going to do this is you're first going to go with one hand next to your side, okay? Okay. And this is going to be the horse, okay? All right. So in polo, you better not hit your horse in the head. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to have you just with one hand yep. swing the club this direction right at me, nice and smooth. I'll get the $25,000 launch monitor <laughs> out of the way. That's a good idea. There you go. Yep. So just like this that's on it. the right side? Yep. So now I want you to put two hands on it. And again, don't hit your horse in the head. There we go. Now I want you to start to transfer your weight from back foot to front foot, but don't hit your horse in the head. Make it go out a little bit more. Yep. Okay. There we go. Oh, man. Yeah. There we go. So now we're really training that path, right? And your body's doing all the things you need to to make it work just by swinging out. That's great. What a good... Good little visual. So... What a good visual. If you're struggling with this, start with the T. One thing that I think you'll find in motor learning is you want to make sure the activity is scaled to the level of your ability, right? Yeah. So if it's pretty hard for you to hook it, let's put it on a tee and make it easy first. Okay. So I want you to visualize that, of course. Yeah. Feel like you're swinging way out on it. And let's see if you can get your path way out to right field now. There you go. Yep. Awesome. Let's try one more with the monitor on. <laughs> That's great. I haven't heard this before. Really? I'll tell Different. you that. That's great. <laughs> don't hit don't hit the horse. Yeah. There we go. That's how you hit a little hook in there. Yeah. And I think as a player yourself, you're probably aware, like whenever you have an issue that you're struggling with, you know, you're at point A, let's yep. go to point C and come back to B. Let's sure. overdo it. And that's overdoing it. That's yeah. 19 degrees inside out. So you get there fast and then come back. Very cool. Very cool. So attention and focus, it's got to scale to the individual and their skill level, right? right? And then you start with least invasive, maybe a visual cue. Mm-hmm. Is that always where you start? or I think most teachers will go that direction. I certainly do. Okay. If, if you can solve it visually very quickly, do that. Yeah. yeah. And then if that's not working, then you move into something a bit more, right. trying to avoid right. something in there as well. I think the hard issues might be where you get with somebody where their sequence maybe is suboptimal, but they're getting the results they want. Okay. And then you have that hard decision. Do you break them down? Do you yep. start working on you know, top-down swings or whatever? That's where the difficult questions lie, I think. So when do you use internal cues with students? I will go internal if I feel like we're not getting results externally and I'm having trouble getting somebody to feel that move. So a great example would be the left wrist at the top. I think almost every teacher is going to go with flattening the left wrist Mm -hmm. versus thinking about closing the face and go through a series of drills to make that happen. Okay. What about, so we've got feedback around here and then internal. What about feedback from like launch monitor and video? Do you consider that external, or what kind of cues do you consider those, and how do you... I would say it's, it's probably on the kind of separate side of just okay. feedback in general, but okay. I would say generally people are very bad about awareness of their body and mm-hmm. what's going on, right? So you have to have an unbiased way to actually do your corrections. And so video or somebody watching you is so helpful, and honestly, the best tool of all the, all the aids we've developed in the last 50 years, video is going to win by far. Okay. So if you can understand what's going on and any good players probably stood and cut it in, in front of a camera and said, I got to feel like this to make it happen. Go do that until it feels normal. Right. And eventually it will feel normal. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I love this conversation. It's a, 
it's a scale, I think, that would, everyone has to kind of figure this out because it's not as clear-cut as maybe we'd like it to be because there's one right. way to do it and there's one way not to do it. Right. It's some, something in the middle, maybe. Yeah, and, and really personality has a lot to do with that. I, I always stress to people, like, when you're really trying to make a difficult change, you got to hit some ugly shots and try to make them purposely ugly to change the video first, and then you can start to get results later, right? What do you want to see in the, the research on attention to focus, or what do you think needs to be done to kind of maybe add more clarity for you or kind of your, yeah. your thoughts on that? So we're, we're definitely looking at longer-term studies because I did a study that was about six weeks. Most of the literature is about two, three days. And, you know, a great example would be if you, if you use an internal cue for a long period of time, pretty soon it becomes kind of automatic. Mm. And then you could actually focus your attention again on the target, right? Because okay. we know from sports psychology and reports of good players, most people play best when they're actually thinking about the target focus and how they're going to curve shots. Mm-hmm. So tour pros step up to the ball and they're thinking about making this ball curve this direction, mm-hmm. fighting the wind or whatever it is. It's a very visual experience for them. They're not thinking about their body very often. But to get to that point took a lot of reps thinking about the body and external cues to make it all happen. It's a layered process to build that. So you want to see this where you're working on something in a swing, you're training it, training it until it becomes automatic, and then you're testing it yeah. in, on the course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, don't, I don't think anybody's really done that because it's pretty hard to collect research yeah. for a period of six weeks thinking about the same thing. Yeah. Do you feel like that loop is always continuing, though? Because as soon as, yes. I mean, you get to that point and then you do something else, you know, there's something else that you're working That's a great on. great point. I just know, you yeah. know, from whether it's hanging out in an event or whatnot with, with pros, there's always something there. Yes. And they're typically internal or whatnot. Yeah. Um, they're always something they're working on. So I... That's got to be difficult to... Well, and I think that's where I think a lot of beginners get the idea that golf is, once they get my swing, I'll be consistent. Yeah. And you, as you know, like, Tour Pro hitting two-thirds of the fairways is fantastic, right? Yeah. Golf is so hard. Yeah. And it's always an iterative process to get a little bit better. So you do all these things to get a little bit better, and as soon as you take care of one, that's a whack-a-mole problem, and something else comes up. It's just over and over, we got to figure this thing out. And the best players are best at problem-solving, and they know what works for them, And they keep that in their circle of quick fixes, and then they might have a long-term project too. So, like, if you're going to make that project to add speed, stuff's going to happen. Your hands might be more Mm -hmm. forward. The face might be open. Mm -hmm. You can figure it out as you go. I want to hear more about your research and what you have done and what we can kind of pull away there. Again, attention to focus is is your is where you focused. Yeah. You probably like to say that attention to focus is what you focus yeah, on. Is yeah, that yeah. The line? yeah. So I really got into it as I was starting to read some of the literature and decided yeah. I wanted to research it more. There's a lot of studies on external cues and how effective they are, but some of the cues that they used were not quite what I thought is a golf pro made sense. Yep. And a great example was um, a couple studies by folks that worked on thinking about the left arm straight in the backswing, mm-hmm. both arms straight at impact and right arm straight in the follow through for a chipping task. And I've never used a cue that was that complex. So sure. that was the internal cue that didn't make sense to me. So then I started researching, you know, also the time used in these studies and you're going to get a very different result if you're using a one or two day study versus mm-hmm. a six week study. So that's the background on it. Well, we're trying to like, and that's why we need the bridge of the academics and the golf folks together, right? Because you have academics trying to study something and use golf as the medium to do that, but they don't really know golf. So correct. It's like this disconnect that 
is, can happen with yeah. some golf research. Yeah, for sure. And I think the people that have done it well, cite Bob Christina, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Appenfalls down at Pinehurst, they've done a great job of comboing. And that's what we're hoping to do here at Interlochen as well. And with Rip Golf is got a research team where we can actually look at some of these things. So I'm really looking forward to diving deeper into like um, really contact, which is such a basic thing in the mm-hmm. game. But a lot of people don't know where they're hitting on the face. Mm-hmm. And all the, all the changes we make based on what we think we're doing well. So somebody hits a flush shot, they automatically think they're perfectly on plane. And as you know, you can flush one and your face could be wide open mm-hmm. or you got lucky and you do whatever. So, mm-hmm. so understanding how maybe we can improve the learning process by understanding contact better and awareness of that is really interesting. So we're gonna look at that by handicap and see how maybe 20 handicaps and 10 handicaps and scratches can actually feel contact and maybe make the adjustments they need to based on that. Interesting. What is, because you've done a study on attention to focus, correct, mm-hmm. over yes. a period of time. Yes. Walk us through that. Can you describe kind of yeah. what it was and how it all looked? Right. So we did a, a putting study first. And the putting study looked at basically a six-foot putt. And people are trying to use either an external cue, which was the motion of the putter in a pendulum motion. Or they were thinking about keeping kind of the wrist locked and rocking the shoulders. Okay. Okay. And so what we found was actually people putted better when they controlled their degrees of freedom which has kind of locked their shoulders and rocked versus thinking about the putter as a pendulum. Okay. And the subtlety of the cue is really important, but you know, putters don't actually move in a pendulum. Mm-hmm. They move in an arc on yeah. a pendulum, right? Um, so like we found, David Orr says, it's a pizza go. slice, right? It's a pizza slice, yeah. yeah. So the thing is going on a little arc. So the context of cue is really important. And I think the general idea is a better cue is going to beat, whether it's internal or external, a better cue is a better cue. And a lot of the research that says external cues are better, but I think there's a continuum of cue effectiveness. Okay. And a better cue is going to win. How did you measure, like, effectiveness, or how did you measure which cue won? We just, so we'd had people do 20 putts, and we found out that the external cue was basically improving very little bit as we did a baseline to that. And then the internal cue, they improved about three or four putts out of 20. So they went from averaging eight to about 11 or 12 out of 20. So they improved as they just adopted an internal cue of locking the wrists and rocking the shoulders. Okay. So a better cue just wins. That's what I think. Yeah. How do you, how do you as a, as a, someone doing research, as a researcher, how do you feel good about that? Cause that feels so like, uh, there's like, how do you put any, <laughs> right? Well, I think that's the context of coaching and the, how okay. difficult the thing is. Yeah. Right. And then also everybody's a little bit different too. So we don't know, you know, every, every experiment is related to the task and the person and the <laughs> environment. We don't know which one of those is always the factor, but we can generally start to get closer as we dig deeper into it. But it's really difficult to know. The value of the cue is really important. If you give somebody a bad cue, you're going to get a bad, better result. Mm-hmm. You mentioned environment. Some of my favorite work is on how the environment can make changes as well. Is that something you use a lot in your coaching? Obviously, we're indoors right now, but yeah. getting outside and using slopes, using different situations yeah. in an environment yeah. to help people make changes. Yeah, well. I mean, played a couple of rounds with Tim, Tim Lee and the contextual interference stuff okay. is awesome. And I think as soon as the golf swings in a decent state, you need to get out there and make it difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And people adapt. And our goal as I train competitive players is to play well in tournaments and you have to prepare for every eventuality out there. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people are chasing practice effects, as you know, where they're trying to get comfortable hitting seven irons at a target and getting mm-hmm. better with that. And that doesn't transfer to good golf. So I think people are finally coming around to that idea, but we need to make practice harder. We need to challenge them and get to the fringe and, and understand that sometimes your performance during practice might get worse, but you're actually learning faster, right? Yep. 
how do you take those cues? Would you use that cues that you did in your test then? Would you recommend those players take that to the course with them and use that same thing when they're out playing in a tournament situation? Or do you suggest that fades away? Or how do you take that, that cue there? Well, that's the hard part. With internal cues, if they're effective, I would say use them. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, almost every champion we've seen tends to play with more target focus out mm-hmm. there. So being on the golf course and thinking about what the golf ball needs to do, where it needs to land, and how it needs to curve to get there is probably the best way to play golf. That being said, we have you know self-reports of guys like Nicholas that played with three, four cues in his head sure. consistently, right? So you, I guess, how do you make that transition from they're using that, that cue that you gave them in the study and they're in here hitting putts and then, you know, let's say those students, that when they're done with the study, they actually kept using it because they had success, right? Yeah. When does that go away or how do they transition to playing in a competitive round? Well, I think a well-honed cue, going back to maybe Hogan's left wrist, I don't think Hogan was thinking about his left wrist in tournaments. I think if you use a cue enough, pretty soon it becomes automatic, just like you can drive a car, which is a mm-hmm. complex motor skill, yeah. and you can think about something else, or you could listen to the radio. So if you use that internal cue enough, and you think, okay, I got to lock my shoulders and keep my wrists firm and putt this way, pretty soon mm-hmm. you can actually put that into basically your foundational motor unit. I like to think about, you know, like every cue you have is like a boulder, okay. and as you put it, the boulders into a big basket, the boulders get smaller and they turn into grains of sand and they underline all the foundational technique we have. And pretty soon you're not thinking about any of it except the stuff that's the environment and the context. Interesting. How do you make that process? Is it, I mean, when I think about that, I think about putting yourself, yeah, making practice difficult, right. like and random using contextual interference of being on the course mm-hmm. and using that cue in a challenge or competition maybe before the actual competition you know like that's what i think of when you kind of say that process is that kind of where yeah that's exactly it and and i think knowing how much time you have before you need to go compete is really key some people i think try to stay internal and mechanical too long and that's when they tend to have very poor performances on the golf course you need to make that switch over and be really good at switching mindsets so I think too many people train in the middle where they're kind of working on technique but they're not like totally breaking it down And I think the high level of training we're going to see in the next 10, 20 years is going to be we are completely breaking it down or we're playing completely how to play on the golf course Mm -hmm. and learn to switch between the two very quickly. Interesting. Um, And then if the cue is effective and you know it works for you, you can carry it onto the golf course and use it. You know, so for me, I've got an internal cue where I often just feel like I just need a big shoulder turn so that I can get the club released early. Yeah. You know, so that's what helps me. And I use that on the golf course, but I've been using it for decades. Right. So I know it works. Right. Um, so to me, is it really an internal cue? It's internal, but it's very well honed. It's automatic almost at this point. And, and I think that is probably when we hear the tour pros saying an anecdote like that, like that is what it is, right? One of our, our good friends, Tony Ruggiero on the tour coach podcast. So he says like, he tries to have tour pros break it down to the simplest things. Like there are less than five things they work on yeah. and they're going to work on those all year long. And so, yeah, they're going to have an internal cue on the range or maybe on the course during a tournament, but it's one of like four or five things they work on and they play golf for a living. Right. Um, so yeah, and I, that's a great point that we live in the middle, which is so true, right? Yeah. Everyone's trying to change something and go play golf and do it all they play golf. And, and it's like, you never get any, anywhere. Right. How many amateurs are out there trying a brand new cue they read on Golf Digest? And it's fun. It's kind of mm-hmm. entertainment of the mind, but is it productive? Is it something that they're actually going to stick with and fine tune like a tour pro would for months and months and months, the same cue? Right. How do you figure out, I always think decision-making and coaching is fascinating of when to make a change. 
How do you, as a coach, decide when to make that technique change and go over to the side of the spectrum? Like, what's a trigger for you to go do that? I think that's the hardest question. I think that's even gotten harder as we've gotten more and better launch monitor data. And we've seen that really, you know, the entire game and how it's switched is that backswings matter less, downswings and impact matter more, and ball flight is, is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if you got a funky backswing, but the pattern looks really good on the way down, I don't think you touch it. Mm-hmm. If the ball's going where it goes, as John Jacob says, I think we're okay, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the really hard call. And my personal opinion would be you wait for that stuff for the down season or the off season when you mm-hmm. can go ahead and break it down. You don't touch the major stuff in the season. And I think knowing the personality of the player and what they can accomplish is so key because some people are really eager to get better and they can very quickly get worse. And how many stories have you heard of tour pros starting with a new coach and trying something new and they can definitely get worse. So it's, it's a really fragile system. Yeah, exactly. You work with a lot of competitive juniors, mm-hmm. I know. So is that for you? We're in the wintertime right now. Is this where you're doing a lot of technique work with them? And then during the summer, it's just kind of working on maintaining those fundamentals or whatever it was during the offseason. Absolutely. And then also just loading up their thought processes for good fixing of stuff, because as we talked about, it's a very iterative process. So if I've got somebody that's swinging it beautifully in February, we're still working on mechanics, but we're fixing and what can we do in June when you're playing in a high level AJGA to fix your swing on the go? If it goes right, you know, your tendencies to go right under the gun, what are you going to do? And adding pressure is obviously key. It's so hard Mm. in the winter, but you have to create tasks that Mm. basically make people feel like that really matters. Right. Right. So competing is great. And if you have a good buddy and team to compete with, I think that's very, very valuable. Are you adding that competition in while you're doing technique to help speed that process along then? Some people were doing that, yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing if it can hold up or not, right? I always like to stress test, you know, a new cue. So if if I can't get that player to use that thing in a practice round that feels meaningful and they can't think about it and hit the ball well, we abandon it, right? You need to be ready to abandon stuff if it's not working, right? Yeah. So you said kind of looking to the future, what you're thinking about next to to look into contact is where's where you want to... Yeah, I think think it's super basic, but I think so few... 20 handicaps have any idea where they're hitting it on the face. Sure. And it's, I think it's really important to hit, hit the ball in the middle of the face. So we're going to look at that. And then how to train that? Like how, how to train you, that. How do you get yeah. someone better? Yeah, at doing there's, that? there's a lot of easy ways to do it, do it yeah. right. And to make people more versatile too. So I'm a big fan of being able to shape the ball. My grandpa taught me golf. He said, uh, he taught me to curve it right, curve it left. He said, if you can okay. hook and slice it, great. Now the rest of your life, learn how to hit straight. Nice. That was the only golf lesson I had until I was 22 and I turned nice. pro. And for me, that was so key to understand the physics of the game, how to make the book golf ball do what it needs to do. And the internal cues can kind of f- form around that, but understand that golf ball first. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious, where is your thought process headed on that? Because I mean, what I think about is just people gaining awareness of trying to hit it on the toe, heel, yeah. center by using some kind of foot spray or, you know, whatever or not. But is that... That's exactly it. It's yeah. that basic understanding where you're hitting on the face. I mean, how many 12 handicaps consistently have a bias, even if it's a quarter inch off mm-hmm. the toe, toe or the heel, and they don't recognize that and mm-hmm. they don't change that? It's every day I see somebody that doesn't know where they're hitting okay. on the face. And if, if all you do is hit a little more in the middle, your handicap drops because you're not going to hit off the toe and lose 12 yards and stick it in the face of a bunker, right? Do you think that's a, a nice thing to look at because it is more external as yes. well? So it could be see quick changes potentially? Yes, it's, it's kind of low-hanging fruit of okay. our industry, isn't it? I think basic biases and understanding mm-hmm. that, I don't think people talk about that enough. Yeah. Interesting. 
Well, cool, man. Thanks for having us down to hang out. We did some videos as well and checking out the ripstick, did some speed testing, which was great. I gained, uh, figured out I am below the line and have potential to gain more speed, which is <laughs> always makes me happy. Yeah. Um, but no, this is fantastic. I'm looking forward to hanging out some more and seeing what, how ripstick uh, develops here over the next Thanks, Corey. Years. Yeah. This is exciting. Awesome. Thanks, Appreciate Luke. it.